0: The following is a paid program. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the management or ownership of KSTPAM 1500 ESPN. The following is a presentation of Cover Your Assets and is offered by Rooker Financial Coaching and Consulting. You're trying to build your income, your business, your life. Challenges are all around you. It seems so overwhelming. People are depending on you. Who do you listen to? Where can you go to find honest, useful information? Todd Rooker. For decades, Todd Rooker has been teaching professional education to attorneys, CPAs, bankers, and financial advisors. Rooker Financial Consulting offers advice and coaching to consumers, business owners, and financial professionals on every topic imaginable. If you truly want to succeed, sit back and find out how to cover and build your assets. Here's nationally renowned speaker and expert getting you on the path to financial strength and wealth, Todd Rooker.
1: Hey, welcome everybody. Another episode of Cover Your Assets. I have a treat today. Uh, If you are a regular listener, you know that the end of each month is our what I call master's classes with Alicia Webb from Village Bank. In all fairness, I think this is kind of one of those, although this is with CPA Arliss Cleveland. She is my go-to CPA. She brings a wealth of information and experience, and having her on is just a privilege. Welcome, Arliss.
2: Thank you very much, Todd. Very good. appreciate being here.
1: Well, I appreciate you just showing up this early in the morning,
2: huh? (laughs) You got that going. (laughs) Hey.
1: So the name of our show today is Tax Minimization Strategies and Upcoming Changes. And so I think you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, You know, the thing is, folks, if you are an employee, you really, uh, a lot of these opportunities in terms of tax, you may not even be aware of them or know how other people take advantage of them. But when you're in business, these are some of the big benefits of having a small business or a big business, and uh, uh, these changes and these strategies become fairly complex, And uh, knowing how to utilize them. I've always said it's one thing to know that uh, there's an opportunity available in terms of a deduction. It's another thing to be able to take advantage of it. And so we always want to be conscious that tax uh, efficiency is often, and listen to this, folks, often more useful uh, than investment returns, simply because if you have a tax strategy that you know to be true, it's not speculation, as in, hey, at the end of the year, I, I expect to get a 10% return, and I'll say, well, let's see what happens at the end of the year. Uh, but if we have a tax strategy wherein we can uh, save a percentage of our income that would otherwise be gone, that, in, in effect, is really a return that we would have otherwise not had. So focusing on these things is incredibly useful and powerful so we have some big changes in the depreciation rules and that's specifically being bonus depreciation so tell me Arliss what is bonus depreciation what actually is that
2: bonus depreciation is where you can take a asset that you purchase for your business and write it off in full in the first year 100 percent You were able to start doing this back in 2018 with the new Jobs Cut Act, and we've been able to do and use this depreciation write-off for the last five years. In 2022, this will be the last year that we will be able to take 100% of something that we purchase that we put into service for our business. Starting in 2023, it will reduce down by 20%, and every year will continue to reduce down by 20% until 2027, where it will be completely gone.
1: So, folks, as an example, imagine that leading up to the end of the year, you know that you're going to have profit to the extent that it's going to push you into another tax bracket, and you're going to have, let's say, $50,000 of additional taxable income to you. You could go out and buy a vehicle, $50,000 vehicle, depreciate that, and thereby decrease your taxable income by that number. That's a pretty big benefit. Is that how it works?
2: That is a very big benefit. The fact that you bring up vehicle, they have a little different set of rules. Mm. The vehicle has to be over 6,000 pounds if you're going to take the maximum amount of the depreciation on it. If it's less than 6,000 pounds, then the maximum bonus depreciation that you can take on that vehicle would be, depending on the size of it, it would be either 10,002 or up to 26,002. This is what's allowed for... I'm sorry, I'm quoting section 179. Yeah, yeah. 179 is if it's a vehicle that's under 6,000 pounds, you can take 10,200. And then if it's over... 6,000 pounds. You can take 26,200.
1: So the we're gonna, rest
2: you can then take for bonus depreciation on a vehicle over 6,000 pounds.
1: And, and folks, we're going to get into the differences between uh, Section 179 and the bonus depreciation because there are differences and they're both very useful if you know how to use them, but they're different. So is there a gross vehicle weight where it starts that you're able to take advantage of this and or not? That's the six thousand pounds. So but okay. So the one hundred seventy nine address is when it's less than that, but but you can't do it unless it's six thousand didn't it used to be five thousand?
2: Didn't no. the gross vehicle weight used to be five thousand? Nope, it's always been six thousand. Okay. Okay. Gross vehicle weight. That has not changed. All right. All right. And and do be aware,
1: guys, that these deductions are really only valuable, you know, you, you, people can spend endless time strategizing to minimize their tax liability, because frankly, list nobody likes paying taxes, no. or, or very few anyway. Some of you <laughs> maybe I don't know. Um, but they're only useful to the extent that you have income to use that deduction against. Not so, necessarily. Well, I know you can carry it, but...
2: No, well, well okay. you can carry it, but bonus depreciation, unlike 179 allows you to take a loss in your business. Right. right. Now, it may be advantageous for you if you need a piece of equipment in a business that you're just really getting started, so it's still losing money, but you have another business that's very successful, but you don't need any equipment in that business, so you can take and purchase this piece of equipment in the business that's not making money, Take that loss and offset that loss against the business that is making money.
1: Ah, ah. So it's a
2: way of being able to do that. You cannot do that with 179. You have to have income in order to take 179. If you don't have income with 179, you can carry that forward to the following year.
1: Very good. So as we describe this, this bonus depreciation, has been utilized by a ton of folks who are in small businesses. Frankly, you've got people who really don't need trucks who are buying trucks.
2: <laughs> yes,
1: as as brand new vehicles, and and there was a law change recently that allowed you to do it with used vehicles as well, which didn't used to be the case. When did that, that happen? That is
2: correct. Oh goodness, I would say maybe 2018, 19. I. Th- I think that went through on the eighteen tax changes, but I'm not positive.
1: Very good. So you know, you know you've got guys guys like me who who at least previously were in the the advisory business. Uh, a lot of these guys are driving around with great big SUVs and trucks, and if you're wondering why that is, given the business that they're in, well, we just explained it. That's yes. why. <laughs> yep, that is correct. And it and it fuels the truck business, or at least it certainly has over the last several years. People coming in buying new trucks on an ongoing basis as a result of being able to utilize that with this bonus bonus program. So, all sounds great, right? Well, it's going away. So, tell us about that, Arliss.
2: Well, the tax law that went into effect in 2018, this was set to sunset. And so what's going to happen is you're not going to be able to get that large depreciation write-off. You're going to have to take it once in, 2000, in 2027. You'll have to go back to the standard makers where you get 20% the first year, 32 the second year, 1125 the third, and so on until you depreciate it in full.
1: So, what you're doing with the depreciation, folks, is you're taking its value, which is generally referred to as the basis of that piece of equipment, or in this case, a vehicle as we're describing it, and you are amortizing, just meaning that you're using a portion of that value or that basis. Over a period of time until you run out and get to zero, and then, of course, you need to go and get a new truck, right?
2: Correct. But you're you're depreciating. You're not amortizing. Agreed.
1: Agreed. Well, well, the liquidation over time, and in this case, it's simply not money. It's depreciation. So it's just the opposite. Right. So if it's going away, we're going to be going back to 179. So I should ask a question. Because, yeah, it's a great thing to have this, and it accelerates depreciation. However, what if I want to have that piece of equipment or that truck and depreciate it over a more predictable, longer period of time? Am I able to do that through a 179? Can I dictate that I don't want to take a whole 20%? I want to do it this amount over this period of time, and I do it consistently. Can I do that, or can I not do that?
2: With 179, you can pick your amount that you want to depreciate on that asset. With bonus depreciation, you can pick the class life of the assets that you want to take bonus depreciation on and not. But you can't pick a dollar amount for bonus depreciation. Either you're gonna take 100% and write it off, or you're gonna take nothing, and take just regular makers or a straight line, or 179. Okay. But 179 does allow you to choose how much of an asset you want a section 179, and then you bonus the rest, or you take regular makers depreciation or straight line.
1: So you are able to do it then.
2: You can do it with 179, but not with bonus.
1: Right, right. Which of course, back to the point, is going away. Go ahead. You didn't say that.
2: What I want to elaborate on is, you know, when would you not want to do bonus depreciation versus Section 179? All right. Perfect. So it's really important to understand that the state doesn't always adhere to the federal government. So because the federal government allows you to have a deduction doesn't mean that the state's going to allow you to have that same deduction. So we will look at an asset and we will determine, first of all, does the company have income that can support a $179 write off If they do, then we want to take and max out the $179 write first before we do bonus depreciation because bonus depreciation is only allowed to take 20% of it on the state return. And then you take the remaining 20 and 20 and 20 until you've used up 100% of that bonus on your state return.
1: Got it. Got it. So just very clearly, uh, just state what you see as the, the, I mean, I know we've said this three times now, the difference between Section 179 and the bonus depreciation. What is the, if somebody's thinking about this and they're hearing parts of this, what does that actually mean? And what is the distinction or the difference? Why would they do one or the other?
2: Okay. If they have income, I will definitely tell them all day long to take 179 sure. because they're going to get a much better deduction both at the federal level and at the state level. If they don't have income, then we're going to look at bonus depreciation, knowing that will generate a loss for the company, but on the state side we're going to have an add back and so we may be able to eliminate federal tax, but we will only be able to eliminate a portion of the state tax.
1: So does that mean that the state's guidelines are really more dictating how you handle this than the federal guidelines? Oh big guidelines? time.
2: Yep. Absolutely. You have to look at both to decide what is in the best interest of the client. Very good. And then you also want to look at, you know, what's their progress? Where are they where have they been? what are they doing this year? What are they gonna do in the next three, four years? Because it may be more advantageous for them to elect that piece of equipment and put it just as makers and take the standard regular depreciation because next year they're gonna be in a much larger tax bracket, which is gonna give them a much better tax savings on that depreciation versus using it all up this year at a lower tax percentage.
1: I I, I listen to you talking, and I and I just can only imagine the number of people who listen to this who are employees and have no idea that this type of stuff even exists. They pay their taxes, they try to get a refund at the end of the year, and the idea of being able to write off any portion of their income with depreciation. Maybe even it's never even occurred to them, or they've never heard of it before. So these are some of the incredible benefits of having your your own business, owning real estate, and things of that nature. And it really is astounding, frankly, that it still exists. Right, right, (laughs) for sure. I mean, don't get me wrong, I want it to exist forever. I own real estate, and (laughs) I love it. Yep. But it is kind of like you telling me all the dynamics of how this big jumbo jet gets off the ground, but I still can't believe it actually happens.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
1: (laughs) So, all right. All right. So here's a question that I bet a lot of people would like to know. So when I buy a vehicle and I want to use bonus depreciation, let's assume that I'm able to do that and I can do that. Does it change things if I want to bonus the whole thing, if I finance it or pay for the whole things with cash? Does that change anything? Can I do it either way, or can it only be done in one, one of those two ways?
2: You can do it either way. Either way. You do not have to pay cash for it. You could literally buy a vehicle on December 31st, put zero money down. And as long as you put that vehicle in service in that year, you'd get 100% of the right of the purchase as long as it was over 6,000 pounds.
1: So what if I don't pay it off? Doesn't matter. Listen, listen, guys.
2: Other than to the company that you owe the money to.
1: (laughs) I, 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 I brought this up just because if you heard what we just said, that is astounding. You're taking a loss, depreciation, On a vehicle that you haven't even paid for, okay? Yep. I mean, whoa!
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing, but you want to make sure that you don't get yourself into trouble. Right. Because all of a sudden, you're taking a huge write-off in a year that you had no cash in late for that write-off. Now, the following years, you're going to have those payments that you're going to have to make to your... Vehicle company. Right. And unfortunately, you're going to look at that, and you're going to have no tax deduction for that outflow of cash. Right. So I always want to make sure that my clients don't get themselves in trouble where they are taking this huge tax write-off, and then the next year they've got this cash that they've got to use to make those payments that they will not get a tax deduction for, and they're going to owe tax on cash that they're going to say, but I don't have this cash. Well... Sorry, but last year you didn't have it either, and you got the huge tax savings for it.
1: So, folks, that means that it might be advantageous to stagger that, as I called it. Arliss doesn't like the way I say it. (laughs) Amortize, which is just the liquidation of, in this case, depreciation over time, and as opposed to taking it all at once. However, so, so what that means also is, that means that that expense, that payment that you're making in your business, with your business account and your business money, you're not going to be able to show that as an expense to your business and write it off. You're going to pay income tax on that.
2: That's right. Right. You'll get the interest expense on the loan, but How, that's it.
1: R- however, what if next year I buy another new one?
2: Well, then you have a lot of fun. <laughs> Especially in this environment that we're in right now, where people are literally trading in their one-year-old vehicle and getting a higher price for it than they paid for it. So it's it's been very interesting. But with the changes in 2018, also came the like-kind exchange rules. So you used to be able to do a like-kind exchange on property that was the same. So if you had a vehicle and you traded it in for a new vehicle, you could defer the gain from the sale of that vehicle into the basis of the new vehicle. Now that went well, away. Ha- hang on.
1: Yep. I know that was easy for you, but I got to take you back and have you explain exactly what that means. Okay. All right. So what does what does it mean, defer what you what you sold it for into the new vehicle? What does that mean?
2: Okay, so... Let's say that you purchased a new vehicle for $50,000 last year. Yep. And you wrote the whole thing off. Yep. Now this year, you're going to trade that same vehicle in for a new $70,000 vehicle. The way the rules worked was you had a basis of zero because you wrote the entire vehicle off. Right. The company that is purchasing your vehicle for a trade to give you a new vehicle said they're gonna give you $50,000 for it because it's worth as much today as it was when you purchased it. So you've got a $50,000 gain on the sale of that vehicle. You used to be able to take that gain and put it into the new vehicle and then reduce the purchase price of the new vehicle. So the gain would reflect that $20,000 would be the basis in your new vehicle. $70,000 purchase price, $50,000 50. gain. You got a new depreciate, depreciable asset of $20,000. Today's rules, we can't do that. We have to show that gain on the tax return as a $50,000 gain. And then... Income. Income, <laughs> Yep. But it kind of works out the same because now we can take that $70,000 vehicle that we just bought and we can write the entire $70,000 off. Which
1: basically offsets it almost in the same way.
2: Basically offsets it, exactly.
1: Very good. Uh, It it is, again, for somebody who is not aware of this, this must just be frustrating. These rich people who don't have to pay taxes. (laughs) Well, we know that business owners aren't necessarily rich. Right. But, 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 these are the benefits that are available to one when you have a business and when you operate a, a business and take advantage of some of the tax benefits. And they are huge. I mean, they just really are uh, somewhat astounding. It reminds me, when you were talking about, you know, buying a vehicle that's that's as expensive or more, it reminds me of, you know, the 1031 exchange rules were equal or greater within a within a period of time. But so realistically, although although the way that they treat it is different, you really wind up being able to do essentially the same thing. You really do. Yeah. All right. So uh, for those of you who are uh, what employees in your day jobs, but are thinking about starting yourself a a side business, uh, and if you heard me talk about why someone might want to start a side hustle. We just gave you a really good reason why. The challenge, of course, is that it is going away, that at least the bonus uh, depreciation, the 179, section 179, will remain. But I don't think you did. Maybe I'm wrong. Did you give them the schedule, uh, the the twilight of this bonus plan when it's going away? Did you say that? It's, I did. Okay.
2: 2027, it will be completely gone. But
1: But then the following year... Twenty twenty two, it goes down to what percentage that you can use of that vehicle? Twenty
2: twenty three, yes, goes down to eighty percent.
1: There's what I'm looking for, okay. and the following year then after 60, that, sixty,
2: then forty, then twenty,
1: then zero. There you go. So that's so you're going to see a lot of people, you know, running that out. Uh, but it is interesting to see the number of people who have purchased new vehicles and some of them entire fleets of vehicles on an annual basis simply to take advantage of that. So for the, for, for the automobile industry, imagine what a great thing that was and how this is going to change things for them. You know, a lot of the automobile manufacturers have almost stepped away from the passenger car business and have moved specifically into the truck and SUV business because that's where their money was. Imagine, folks, what this means to those people who have spent time focusing on that and now that's not going to be available or at least isn't going to be as abundantly utilized to buy vehicles that those types of vehicles. Pretty amazing. Right. Very amazing. Yeah, wow. All right, so, would Section 179 depreciation differ? This is now, we're talking about, um, we're talking about uh, with with a property a piece of real estate. So I guess I should start with saying that <clears throat> one when you depreciate real estate that you own and it's you know if you if you hear this and you say how can you depreciate something that's going up in value. Well, realistically the value that's increasing is not the appreciation that everyone refers to it's simply the effect of inflation on the purchasing cost of real estate nevertheless you get to depreciate real estate now if it's residential four doors or less you get to do that over a period of 27.5 years if it's commercial five doors or more well then that's 39 years so when you buy a uh 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 piece of real estate, you establish a basis in that purchase price. The portion that you can depreciate does not include the dirt. It's going to be the structure. And every time you take depreciation on it, you are decreasing the basis. So when you do go to sell it, there's going to be the difference between now the discounted basis and the new sale price. And if you don't reinvest it with a 1031 exchange, you're going to have to pay capital gains on that. But it also works this way. Every time that you put money into it, depending on what you're putting into it, you are able to take that benefit and increase the basis as well. So how would, if I own a property and I'm making good cash flow on it and I have a lot of taxable income because of that cash flow, and if I divide what is left after the land value and divide it by 39, it doesn't give me enough depreciation to write off the entire amount that I'm earning on it, which is, of course, my goal, tax-free money. So then somebody tells me about doing a cost segregation study and accelerating my depreciation because so many fixtures in that structure are going to depreciate much more quickly, go down to zero or become worthless to me much faster than 39 years, which gives me more depreciation, but also runs out my depreciation a lot faster in terms of my basis. How does 179 differ from that?
2: Well, it doesn't. 179 is not allowed to be used on rental properties.
1: So I just read this online and I and I'll have to send it to you where they're talking about putting money into a property specifically. And they're saying that when they put the when they put uh money into the property, they increase its basis and they're able to take advantage of section 179. So I read that and I was like, "Huh?" And that's the reason I brought up the question. So what could that be about?
2: It's An improvement. So you can do improvements in rental property, and I'm not sure how long that's going to last, if that's going to expire along with the bonus depreciation, because it was all done at that same time.
1: So explain how that works.
2: Well, if it's a leasehold improvement, so you're doing something to improve the property, you're putting in a new pavement, you're putting on a new roof, those types of improvements will qualify you for Section 179. But that's the only thing that will qualify you on a rental property.
1: Very good. Very good. And and folks, as you hear that... <clears throat> and you have
2: to be profitable.
1: Right. As you hear that, guys, that's a good point. Forgive me. Very important point. You have to be profitable. Um, but... Remember that when you make improvements, as Arliss calls them, uh, a lot of people would immediately say, oh, that means that I've increased the value relative to the amount. No, not necessarily. Right. Improvements are drawn out as to exactly what they mean, and you know, I could put a $30,000 roof on a property, but it doesn't necessarily mean I've increased the value of that property in terms of sale. Nevertheless, I get to use that as an improvement. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with what I think is incredibly useful information if you're in business with whether you own a business or your own investment, real estate, knowing these rules and how to utilize them and what's coming at you really should change the way that you manage your business and your finances. We'll be right back with Arlis Cleveland CPA. Does your sump pump run constantly? Do you want to ensure that you never have a damp, musty smelling basement? These issues are caused by water coming off your roof, draining into your basement gutters can resolve these problems. William Foss is the owner of Seamless Solutions. He is honest and trustworthy. He is simply the best. If you need gutters or leaf covers, he is the guy to call. You can call him at 612-834-0664 or go to his website, MN.
3: Are you looking for a bank that supports entrepreneurs like you? If you're searching for a bank to grow with you and your business, I would like to welcome you to our village, Village Bank. Hi, I'm Alicia Webb, President and Vice Chair of Village Bank. I'm honored to lead Village Bank, an entrepreneur's bank that was built by an entrepreneur and for entrepreneurs. Starting a business and then maintaining it requires mindset. It's important for business owners to realize that financial statements aren't just for their bankers and accountants. Knowing your numbers will help build the foundation for you and a healthy and successful business. You don't have to be a financial expert nor a banker, but you do need to understand a few key financial documents and metrics to make your business successful. Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn or visit us at VillageBankOnline.com. It takes a village to accomplish your business goals. And be sure to tune in to cover your assets the last Saturday of every month to fill your entrepreneurial cup of ambition and start your Saturday off right with me, Alicia Webb and our village, Village Bank. Fix Auto has been the collision repair leader in the Twin Cities for over 40 years. Hi, I'm Matt Feehan, second generation owner. Our
2: mission at Fix Auto is to provide you with the simplest collision repair experience anywhere. If you're in an accident and you need help, my team is here and ready for you. You can find us on the
0: web at fixautousa.com. That's fixautousa.com. We are Fix Auto, home of the wow experience. He can lift a bus straight over his head. He can fly around the world in seconds. And he has the power to regenerate entire limbs.
1: However, that's not the time to go looking for one. Instead, you want to position and strategize well in advance for a favorable outcome. CPA Arlis Cleveland of Arless Cleveland LTD is the CPA firm you've been looking for. As many of you already know, if you're looking for a great CPA, Arless Cleveland gets my highest endorsement. Arless Cleveland LTD has now formed a strategic relationship with Village Bank, conveniently located in the Village Bank Building, located at 9298 Central Avenue North, Suite 412, Blaine, Minnesota. It can also you can also find Arlis Cleveland LTD certified public accountants and consultants by going to accountingoffices.net or by simply calling 763-786-0639. That contact information again, accounting-offices.net, or by simply calling 763-786-0639. You're listening to Cover Your Assets with
0: Todd Rooker.
1: Hey, um, <laughs> so The impact of depreciation on financing and growth. So this is something I I speak with clients about a lot, because although you might say, uh, hey, I didn't make a lot of money last year because I was able to write off a lot of expenses, and I upgraded all of my equipment, and frankly, Mr. Banker, I did it because I wanted to minimize taxation. However... We're doing, we're trying to get an SBA loan, and an SBA loan has formulas that you have to be able to show how profitable you are and your capacity to meet the obligation of the new loan you're qualifying for. And as a result of taking all this depreciation, showing that you make very little money, it just makes your business look like it's very needy in terms of equipment. You now don't qualify for the loan. Well, that's not good, Arliss?
2: No, <laughs> that's not good.
1: So, focusing exclusively as a business owner on tax savings, which is not to minimize the significance of tax savings, depending on what you're trying to accomplish, can actually be challenging, and you must have a more holistic approach to this. Another instance of this is the effect of depreciation on the value of a business based on on whether or not that depreciation and the thing that you purchased transfers uh, value to your balance sheet. Now, if you're spending money, and the money that you're spending is on assets that enhance your balance sheet, at least someone who looks at your business in terms of its value can see that. But that's not always the case. So, you know, if, if somebody, I just and I say this, Arliss, because yesterday I was at Troy Danners with a bunch of business owners who are cabinet makers. And we talked about the fact that if I want to sell my business, not unlike when I want to sell a piece of real estate, on paper, I want to make that look as profitable and as successful as it can be so that I have more value in the sale of that, that asset. How might depreciation be done well so that someone says, hey, they're managing their business well, or how might that undermine the valuation of a business?
2: Well, it determines how you cre- how you calculate your financial statements. So you can do massive depreciation for tax purposes. But as long as you're using GAAP for your financial statements, those assets are going to be depreciated over GAAP rules. You're doing it again, GAAP. Sorry, (laughs) generally accepted accounting principles. (laughs) And that's what takes your aggressive depreciation and makes it to be formal for what your asset was. It's based on the class life of the asset. So if you've got a piece of equipment that's a seven year asset, you're gonna straight line depreciate that over seven years. That's what your gap financial statements are going to reflect. They're not going to reflect that you wrote 100% off the Very first good. year.
1: Very good. And you would you would love to assume that everybody knows how to look at that. It's not necessarily true. But you would love to assume that everybody understands that. <clears throat> now, the other challenge is that so many of the small business owners, when they do uh, illustrate a, pros- a profit, when they do show a profit, <clears throat> they because they're small... Entities, an LLC, an S corp, those dollars now are going to be uh, taxed as income. Very possibly less the social security tax, but they'll be taxed as income. Challenge with that is that the small business owner mentally takes ownership of that money, thinks that it's theirs, and now wants to go and buy a boat. How do we? How do we deal with that?
2: Well, it <coughs> depends on where they're at with their business. If they've got enough cash flow that their business can support them taking that boat, that would be a depreci That would be a dis- distribution that they take out of their company because obviously the boat probably is not a business need, necessary, and ordinary expense. So they would take a distribution. Well, distributions have to be. <sighs> where the income in the company has. So if you've got $20,000 of income in your business and you have $50,000 in, in your checking account, you can take that $20,000 out of your business as a distribution and buy your boat without a tax problem. You're gonna pay $20,000 tax on your income even though you don't have the cash in your bank account to justify it.
1: So a really interesting thing about that is that when you are attempting to qualify for financing, they're looking for dollars that you would have available to you to make the new payment that you are trying to qualify for. When you put those dollars into things like investments, your retirement account, just putting them in the savings account in your bank, they're looked at as dollars that could be used to make payments on the new loan you're trying to qualify. However, When you take those same dollars and you put them into lifestyle, that doesn't work anymore, and that's a big problem. So you want to be able to put those dollars somewhere, like a savings account, like an investment account, to show that they are real dollars that would be available to qualify. Otherwise, here again, it makes your lifestyle look like it's needy, and although it was profit to the business, it just looks like, in terms of lending you money, it costs a lot of money to support your lifestyle. Do people think about that, not? Artists?
2: Not at all. Not at all. Not no. at all. I mean, there are there are some that do absolutely, but the majority of the population out there, if the checkbook has the money, they're going to spend it.
1: Absolutely. And I just I just had this I made this this point at the seminar yesterday. I said, technically, to manage the business properly. I asked, I, I asked a question. I don't know how many, there, how many there were in the room. Maybe 15 of them, 20 of them. I don't know. And I said, how many of you have a minutes book? I think there was two or three people who raised their hands out of all the business owners. Now, mind you guys, a minutes book is where you make notations of every significant change or decision or financing that you make in the business because you really want to memorialize that to show why you did what you did. God forbid, should you ever be sued or anything else happen to you. Well, these are businesses that some of them have 60 employees and they're not even keeping a minutes book. So... The reality is, when you take that profit... The best way for you to do it would be to say, okay, at the end of the year, you got $50,000 left after your tax liability. Move that money into your personal account. It's now an asset because it's after-tax after, after tax income to you. And simultaneously, after moving it into, the, into your personal account, you then go to your minutes book, make a loan to the business, put it right back in the business account for operations with, let's say, a 3% loan to legitimize it, and now you've got the money and you show that this is an asset, and you create a clear paper trail, and that would be the greatest way to do it. And nobody does it, because <laughs> CPAs know that if they put that money in that personal account, it's never going back.
2: <laughs> Am I right? You are absolutely right. Yep. And you're right on the minute book, yeah. they It's like deer in the headlight. What are you talking about, Uh-huh. Like-
1: how is it possible that somebody can run a small business of that size and not have one? We're going to take another break here. We're with, we're with, with CPA extraordinaire, Arlis Cleveland, teaching you about taxes, the upcoming changes and strategies that you can use to minimize your liability. Let's take a break. Hey, are you considering something exceptional to set your home apart and highlight its curb appeal? How about the rich look of custom copper gutters? Copper gutters are not only beautiful, they also offer timeless durability. William Foss with Gutter Solutions installed my beautiful copper gutters. I get compliments every day. If you're looking for extraordinary craftsmanship and would like to consider something truly special, call him at 612-834-0664 or go to their website, SeamlessSolutionsMN.com. Ask for Billy. I have trusted attorney Brian Aho for more than 10 years to work closely with me to resolve and eliminate debt for many of my personal and business clients. Aho Law Office is the go-to firm I choose because Brian has always been caring and compassionate with my clients, while tenaciously fighting to retain as much of their assets as possible while quickly eliminating their debt. Brian's extensive experience and knowledge of bankruptcy law and willingness to fight allow him to resolve challenges and cases that many attorneys won't. Don't let other attorneys learn on your dime. Rely on the experience of Aho Law Office to help you achieve relief from your creditors. Competent, compassionate legal advocates providing the clarity to protect tomorrow. For more information, call Brian and his staff at 612-271-4047 or email Brian directly at brian at aholawoffice.com. Again, that number is 612 271
3: Hi, this is Troy Danner of Danner's Cabinet Shop. My family has been building custom cabinets and countertops for homes in Minnesota for over 50 years. We still make the cabinets the way my grandpa did when he founded our company. My team of skilled craftsmen pride themselves on attention to detail and making sure every element of your project goes perfectly. Give me a call at 763-753-4002 or visit us online at DannersCabinets.com.
0: Mike Overson here of Minnesota Home Talk. With today's housing market, buying a house is a competition. To win in a multiple offer situation, you have to work with a local lender who has the reputation of being 100 percent reliable. Come to the winning team. Get pre-approved for your loan by one of the top lenders in the nation, the Mike Overson Mortgage Team at Luminate Home Loans. We will help you win. Call me at 612 612- 202 That's Mike Overson at 612-202-8321 or go to applywithmike.com
1: Finding a good banker and CPA are like having a good doctor or mechanic. You cannot fully appreciate the value they represent until you're in a pinch and truly need them. However, that's not the time to go looking for one. Instead, you want to position and strategize well in advance for a favorable outcome. CPA Arliss Cleveland of Arliss Cleveland LTD is the CPA firm you've been looking for. As many of you already know, if you're looking for a great CPA, Arliss Cleveland gets my highest endorsement. Arliss Cleveland LTD has now formed a strategic relationship with Village Bank, conveniently located in the Village Bank building, located at 92
0: You're listening to Cover Your Assets with Todd
1: Rooker. Hello, I'd like to talk with you about financial coaching. Traditional financial oh, programmers make decisions about stocks. I am sorry again. Oh my our our programmer <sighs> is screwing it all up. <laughs> she said he doesn't mind being blamed for things, so this is gonna be the theme of the show here. I'm <laughs> <All right. sorry. laughs> so so the effect of depreciation can be a, a very uh, can be a, a positive thing, but it can be, can be a negative thing too. And it's worth you understanding. That's why if you hear me say regularly, you must to succeed in a business, your goal is to become a financial person. You may be at, at your core, a practitioner, uh, of the work of the business. And that may be how you define yourself as an individual, but you must set the the financial education right alongside of that because of its importance in growing your business. And that's really what we're talking about here. So given that I had that seminar and we were talking about uh, how to uh, pass that business on, how to sell that business, and how to position it for sale. We talked about the three methods. And I use the term cash method, but you use you call it income. And I use the comparable method, which is comparable businesses. And you use the market analysis, which is the same thing. And I use discounted cash flow method, and you use the liquidation term.
2: <laughs> it's the same thing! All I'm right. not arguing with you. All I'm right. just telling you my
1: terms. So when somebody... Wants a valuation from you? Do you typically do it one way or all three when you do the valuation?
2: I do it two ways. I seldom do the market approach because the companies that I'm dealing with are small businesses and they don't have a market approach. There's no stock to compare them with in the public world. Right. So I use the income approach or I use the liquidation approach. The liquidation approach is looked at when I'm dealing with a company that hasn't made money for some time and is a very highly equipped equipment intense business. So chances are their assets are going to be worth more than what an income approach would be when you're looking at negative inner earnings. Your income approach is going to be zero to negative. So the value of their assets is a much better income selling price for their business.
1: Very good. Very good. We, we both do these valuations. And so I completely understand why you're saying what you are. And, you know, the reality is for some of these small businesses, uh, there really aren't any any good comparables in the marketplace, or at least currently. And so uh, that is, Also then lends itself to the question, given the anomaly that we have had in the last couple of years because of COVID and how skewed those numbers can be one way or the other, how far back do you go in terms of years to look at them and and put together this valuation?
2: Well, I typically would always just go back three years and look at three years. Me too. Not anymore. Right. Now I have to literally go back five to six years to make sure that I'm picking up the business, but only to the approach of the current year, because the current year really hasn't had a lot of COVID effect. Right. So we finally have a clean year that we can look at. So I look at this year and then I go back and skip two years, and then I look at the prior three years.
1: Wow, you skipped the last two years. That is, okay, that's something. That is really (laughs) interesting. So those are, in your mind, those are outliers.
2: They really are. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much between grant money and PPP money and being shut down depending on the industry, the business. Now, there are some of my clients that literally had no effect from COVID and actually benefited from the PPP loans that were available.
1: The The, the seminar yesterday, these uh, cabinet makers, and frankly, most in the construction industry, their anomaly was that their business went up dramatically right. in terms of their revenue. Yep. Just dramatically. And so, do we now look at that and say, that's the new norm? Or do we also take that with a grain of salt and, and temper that a bit?
2: See, I think you have to, because... You know, the whole world shut down, and construction went crazy because people were now in their houses. They were still making money, whether it be on unemployment or whether they were being paid through their employer, but they were having a lot less expenses. They weren't driving to and from the office anymore. They didn't have lunches every day out because they were at work. They were eating at home. They decided they wanted to improve their homes. So, I mean, construction went crazy, and I I mean, I can't tell you, my construction clients, how well they did. But was that a normal year? Absolutely not. Are we now seeing that slow down? Absolutely. My construction people are definitely getting back to more of a normal schedule than what they were for the last two years.
1: Not to mention all of those people who, or not all of them, many of them got loans, 7A loans or EIDL loans of substantial amounts of money. And when you look at their books, they took the money in. They're not paying any money out because they don't need to, didn't need to service those loans for two years. That's right. And so, okay, they took the money in, and here's the sad part. And I know you already know this. That money has been used for payroll, and not to build and grow their businesses the way that it should have. And if it did, well, even then, they have somewhat of an anomaly in so much as they've got improved revenue as a result of utilizing that money for growth, but they don't have any liability or cost to doing it. So that's going to make a big difference when they have to start servicing those loans. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And in my mind, even if they're not making the loan payments, we need to look at it as though we as though they are, because they've got to at least show that liability against the new wonderful volume that they have. Because without it's just it's it's just not real.
2: No, right? That is exactly right.
1: So very good. So all of these things, you know, if you're a business owner and you want to minimize your tax liability, I guess the main point in in all of this is that. It should really be a strategy. It should not be that you dump your stuff on your CPA's desk at the end of the year or you, or you pay your quarterly taxes, but you're really oblivious to all of this. And then your CPA is charged with just simply trying to find opportunities, uh, when in fact you could have positioned for them for the entire year. Arliss and I have been working together for many, many years and I have said, I think almost since we started that I want people to come in, spend the, the hourly amount to pay Arliss so that she can do advanced tax strategy so, they can, strategy so they can position and take advantage of all of the opportunities that are within the tax law. I say this now because if you're going to sell your business or pass your business on to the next generation, you need to do the same thing. What do you think about that, Arliss?
2: Oh, I can't disagree with anything that you're saying. I mean, I wish more of my clients would take that approach. It's changing. I'm definitely getting a much better clientele. They're wanting that experience. They're wanting that advice. They're coming in, they're hungry for it. And I really, really enjoy working with those kinds of clients. The ones that just come in once a year and like you said, throw you a box of stuff and it's like, it's April. There's nothing I can do. When I finally sort through all of this and I find out that they've got $50,000 of income, they're looking at me like saying, what are you talking about? There's no way. Where's the money? Like, well, here's what you spent it on. Here's what your distribution showed. So you made the 50000 You just spent it on all of these lifestyle things. So now you've got to pay Uncle Sam. And there's nothing I can do to help you because it's April. And this is last year. So... It's, it's disappointing for me because I feel like I can't help my client. But at the same time, they didn't give me the opportunity to help them. So
1: And it's, it's multifaceted in its problems because, folks, here's the deal. When someone, just like Arliss has described, comes to have their taxes done, having no idea what to expect, just kind of holding their breath, and they're told that they have this big, fat tax liability that they have to pay. Their their reaction to that, more often than not, is they need a new CPA. Right. Right? (laughs) Listen, you don't need a new CPA. You need to do advanced tax planning. Now, one of the things that Arliss and I work very well together on with our clients is that many of these business clients are either LLCs that are declaring themselves a subchapter S with a salary so that they can minimize their tax liability on their draws, or their S-Corps, and they're doing exactly that already. The problem is, is that they pay the tax and the withholdings on the salary, but they don't do it on the draw. And so as a result, all the money that is in that operating account, that business account that is not spoken for in the in the form of payables for for business that they've done and the things that they owe for materials, labor and things like that, they see that as all their money. Well, then they go to see the tax person and all that money, they spend it. Yeah, they do. They spend it. And they think that those whole dollars that they have taken in the form of distributions, they've not paid taxes on, they think it's their money, and now that bigger dump number has pushed them into higher tax brackets. They owe an even greater percentage, and they don't have the money to pay the tax. That's right. So what we teach people to do is to figure out what does it take to support your lifestyle throughout the course of the entire year. And then we make certain that, one, they're paying themselves a salary, and, two, when they take the draw, we also withhold the taxes on the draw. So that any monies that they have taken to this point, they've already paid taxes on everything. And whatever is left in the operating account is profit. At least our whole dollars, and they don't wind up deficient at the end of the year, or at least as best we can control. Is that a good strategy, Arliss?
2: That is a perfect strategy i love it and that's right and then we do tax planning and we let them know based on where they're at this is what you've withheld so far your safe harbors are covered this is what you're going to owe on april 15th if you spend something this is what you're going to save so it's your choice now you've got choices to make you have facts you know what you're doing
1: what are some of the uh, what are some of the deductions that people aren't taking advantage of that they could be taking advantage of.
2: Meals is a big deduction. And that's also another one I want to point out real quickly with the tax law changes. Meals right now in a restaurant, you're entitled to 100% of the write-off. Next year, it goes back to 50% where it used to be two years ago. Be more
1: specific. 100% of the write-off, meaning what? As long
2: as it was a business meeting. So you went out to lunch. You discussed business with a client, prospective client, a vendor, whatever. You discussed it. It was a business purpose for that meeting. You are entitled to take 100% of that meals off.
1: On right. your tax return, very good, and that means your meal as well.
2: Your meal as well, yes, a hundred percent. If good. you split the tab, you still get a hundred percent of what you spent. Very even good. Even if your guy that you were with bought his own.
1: Very good. Very good. And then, <clears throat> next question: If I want, if I take a business trip. How do I need to document that it was, number one, a business trip, and it had at its core the purpose of business? How much time do I need to spend engaged in business? And how do the meal write-off work when I'm on that trip for business? Same same thing I expect for the meals. What about the rest?
2: Yep. So as long as it was a business purpose and you document that, meaning in your minute book, this is a trip that we took. There we go, that minute book again. This is what we again. did, exactly. <laughs> this is what we did. These were the places that we went and visited for business purposes. These are who we talked to. This was the people who were with me in this trip. As long as all of those things are documented, it's a deduction ordinary and necessary business expense. Uh,
1: and then you can have a little fun while you're there too. You can right? have a
2: little fun. Just make sure you don't take 100% of the trip off. Make sure you take off the Portion that was fun. There's the CPA talking.
1: Listen, folks, I hope you enjoyed it. Cover your assets. Arles Cleveland CPA. Arles, what's your phone number?
2: 763 786 4626.
1: Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye bye
0: This has been a paid program. The views expressed were not necessarily those of the management or ownership of KSTPAM 1500 ESPN.